the Horror Boys, the only horror podcast hosted by boys with a Z. I'm one of your co-hosts, and my name is Bobby, and I'm joined by my other co-host, the only other co-host, the only other co-host we'll ever have, uh, Chuck. Yeah, hey, um, the only, uh, I mean, you're really driving home, like, we're not, I thought we were doing this to, like, forget about that kind of stuff. No, I was trying to make you feel important. Thanks? Yeah, well, I'm sorry if that backfired. No, we're, um, we're doing this for the, uh, to talk about horror stuff for the audience. Last week we did a movie, correct? Yes. Uh, and today, uh, what are we covering for this episode? Well, um, we rifled through the things that we had access to, and, uh, we found this comic called 30 Days of Night, written by Stephen Niles and colored by Ben Templesmith, and, uh, it would have been nice if we had access to the movie, because I, I love the movie, uh, but the comic was also pretty alright, and, uh, we could talk about that, I guess. I didn't see the movie because I had to see B-Movie that month. You can only see a movie a month. Well, I can see several movies a month, but at the end of the month, you know, I had already seen all of the other classics that came out that month, like, I gotta pronounce you Chuck and Larry, and Mr. Woodcock, and I had $10 left in my pocket, and I had to make the choice between B-Movie and 30 Days a Night, and I thought, which one of these has Jerry Seinfeld in it? And then I walked into 30 Days a Night and was disappointed and walked out and walked into B-Movie. Uh, okay, well, that's a, that's a choice, Bobby. Good for you. Uh, I think you made the wrong choice. But hey, you know, I guess you can't look back on that with regret. Is there any sort of Ray Liotta food products in 30 Days of Night? No. Okay, then I think I made the right choice. Alright. We're not talking about the movie. I mean, you could bring up the movie in, in comparison and contrast, but we're mainly talking about the comic, which is a three-issue miniseries from 2002. So they waited a whole five years before they adapted this thing. Yeah. Uh, the story itself, though, is set in November 2001. So this vampire tragedy is set in a year that nothing else bad happened. That's good. I mean, I appreciate <laughs> that bit, but I am going to bring up 9-11 later in this episode. <laughs> I, I I wanted to try to get it out of the way, but I guess there's no avoiding get. <laughs> I think this is an extremely post-9-11 comic. Uh... For sure. I mean, it, it came out after 9-11. I mean, in, in, its, in its ethos, in its, in its moral universe, in its uh, themes, it's very post-9-11. Very kind of 24, Jack Bauer. I, I think it ultimately, and we can discuss this, I think the comic is kind of a pro-war on terror allegory. That's a little deep. I mean, we'll get into it. We can talk about okay. what happens in the comic, and then I can give you my, my, my read on that. Sure. It's mostly to do with the, the sort of climax and ending of it. So how does this... What do we do? I don't remember. Do, do you summarize it? Uh, do I? Yes, I can. Okay, Traditionally, well, okay. there is a summary. I don't think we have a hard and fast rule about which of us does it. This is pretty easy to summarize, because there, uh, there isn't a lot that happens. It's th- Like I said, it's three issues, which ultimately ends up being... Under a hundred pages of story, uh, so, like, yeah, there's a town in Alaska called Barrow, where 
for 30 days out of the year, it is constantly nighttime. Um, our hero is the sheriff, who is named Eben Oleman? Is that his? What's his last name? Hold on, let me look back in the comic. I mean, I don't know, it's not super important what his last name is. I mean, is. I have it, I have it, like, literally right in front of me. Hold on. It's taking me too long to find it. Just Oleman. Sure. Anyway, Sheriff Eben is trying to make it through the last day of sunlight for the next 30 days. And he's got kind of a hectic work day that is made all the more hectic with some rowdy vampires show up to massacre the town. They uh, are taking advantage of the 30 days of night of the title. And they besiege the town and force everyone into hiding. And then, basically, they hide until a big boss vampire shows up and yells at the other vampires for being stupid and causing a big dramatic scene. Uh, And then he kills one of the other vampires, which gives Eben the idea that um, vampires can kill vampires. So, at the end of the comic, he injects himself with vampire blood. And uh, fights the vampires and, and runs them off and kills the big boss vampire. His name is Vicente. Uh, there's yeah. a kind of weird subplot that doesn't really go anywhere. Where there's like this family that want to expose the vampires, I guess, to the world. And this woman sends her son in a helicopter with a uh, camera to take pictures of the monsters. And it's kind of like this thing with the dude in The Shining where... He, sp- he spends a lot of time getting there, and then he just dies, like, immediately. Uh, and that's pretty much it. That's pretty much the whole comic. At the very end, not wanting to be a vampire and forget how to love his wife or whatever, Evan willingly sacrifices himself to the sunlight and dies. Presumably. Yeah. So, I think we didn't mention, if it matters, I guess, is that Evan is partnered with his wife, Stella, who is also a cop there are two cops for this town they seem to be the only two cops for this town they're husband and wife and uh yeah if i lived in a town that only had two cops it would have zero cops very quickly i don't know what that means there you outnumber them so you would kill them i would run them out of town i would gather up i would raise the people up and we would get rid of the cops oh okay. there's only two of them uh i guess that math Makes sense. I sure. I think there's more than two. Are, are, there has to be more than two of them, right? There's. Got, I think there's other people. They're just not characters. There's other people that are not characters, but there's also not other cops that we That's see. I mean, there might be other cops that exist in the town in general, but I don't. Is there any other major character that in this story that is a cop? I can't. No. 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 That's what I'm saying. I'm saying I think there are other cops in the town. They are just not characters in the story. Because when he's driving up to meet her in the beginning, he's, like, talking to somebody else on the radio and stuff like that. I think that the implication is just that they get killed by the vampires, like, almost immediately. That makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, you glossed over a couple things. Uh, you know, how it opens with town being sabotaged. We find out later that there's, like, a minion of the vampires that sabotage the town. It's, yeah. That was confusing. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. The funniest part of the story is the fact that off-screen before the story starts, the, the I guess this one guy sneaks around through the entire town and steals everyone's cell phones without them noticing. You, this is how you <laughs> can tell that the comic was written in 2002, because 
that is the only point in time where it would be be believable that everyone would have a cell phone, but also not notice immediately if it was stolen. For sure. <laughs> For sure. He also burns them in a big hole. Why couldn't he just take out the cell tower? That was the thing I was wondering about that part. I mean, that happens later, I guess. I guess. Uh, but so in the in the movie, uh, we'll be doing this a lot, I guess. In the movie, they changed the cell phone pile into sat phone pile. So just all the satellite phones, which makes more sense because it'd be there'd be less of them. When you hear satellite phone, do you immediately think of Jurassic Park The Lost World? Yes. Me too. You see the yellow satellite phone in your head, right? That was the first time I'd ever heard of that concept, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, Yeah, so it makes more sense in the movie than just, oh, they took everybody's cell phones. (laughs) I get it, though, right? Like, you're writing, you're, you're a person, you're Steve Niles in 2000, probably writing this in, like, 2001, I would assume. And it's like, you got this great idea for a story, and you're like, oh, yeah, fucking cell phones. Like, that is that is a time where you could have started writing the story and kind of forgotten that cell phones existed until you got to the end of plotting it, and you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah, so it opens with them just not being a thing. I mean, they do destroy the cell tower at one point, though, so it's like, I don't know. Did it matter? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if my if my cell phone was working right now and I didn't forget my charger, you know, I still might not be able to use it because cell towers, right? Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen any, so yeah. Uh, okay, so we went over this. Uh, what do we do now? Uh, we 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 hit some. Uh, well, I guess we could rate it. We we rated the movie. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh. Well. I enjoy this comic. I don't think it's too great. I guess I don't know, like a six out of ten. I don't know. I, I think it's fine. I think it's pretty underwhelming. It has like a really good premise that I don't think it really does anything with, which is kind of disappointing. I think more than anything, it's hamstrung by how, just how short it is. That there is just not enough room to develop things to a way that I think would be satisfactory. Like you know, it's like the 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 premise, right? It's there's th- there's thirty days of night. It's a whole month of darkness, so the vampires can do whatever they want. That's a great premise. Like there's a whole multiple times in these less than a hundred pages of story, someone explains the premise of the comic, and another person goes, "Why didn't we ever think of that?" Um, which is like fair, yeah. Why didn't anyone ever think of that? But it's like the town is isolated and besieged by the vampires. It's in darkness. And I feel like, for me at least, I want the town to be a really grounded setting. I want to really feel like the tone and style of this town and the people who live in it and their relationships and the geography of the town and then deal with it getting fucked up by the vampires. But we don't really get that. We, we get like two or three locations in the town. None of them really feel realized. Uh, I mean, our two main characters are these two cops, and and neither of them is particularly well fleshed out either. So it's like, I don't think there's any... I mean, I think the cell phone thing is kind of silly, but like reading it, there's not really like a moment where I'm like, ugh, this comic fucking sucks. But like, I just got to the end of it and was like, eh, eh, eh. I, I, I'd probably give it like a 5 out of 10. Okay. I also am not a huge... I was a little disappointed in the art, too. 
Um, I like Ben Temple Smith's art. I think this is the worst I've ever seen it. There are, like, it's very muddy, which is par for the course, but I feel like this is the one time where I've seen his art be muddy to the point where uh, there are a couple points where I'm confused by the action. And there's also this weird, like, distracting digital post-processing on a lot of it. Like, like blur filters. Oh, did you notice yeah. this? Yeah, I did notice that. Which I did not dig. I find those to be very distracting. And also, there are points where it's inconsistent to you in a way that almost undermines some emotional moments. Like, the big climax, our boy rolls out and he's fully vampirized. And his, like, neck is gone for some reason. <laughs> he's like a gray, gray grimace now. And I'm like, what? He had a neck earlier in the comic. I remember it distinctly. Uh, so, yeah. I, I give it a five. I definitely agree with that for the art. Uh, there's some stuff that I like. Like, I like when they have, like, the profile view of the vampires. I think that is done well. Especially, I like how the grayness of it really kind of helps with the atmospheric horror, which is hard to hard to show in a comic, you know? Uh, in the movie, you really feel it, but in the comic, it's like the grayness helps identify that, hey, we're in a blizzard this entire time. Yeah. I like how monstrous he makes the vampires look. Yeah, the vampires look great. I think it's the people that look like crap. Yeah, well... Like, you know, when they have, like, the massacres and stuff that they show, uh, I like that. Uh, and, like, the fight scenes are good. And, like, when they have, like, close-ups to the vampires, like, screaming, that is also, like, pretty terrifying design. But again, like, the people just, like, don't look great. They look like... They look like ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes they have necks, and sometimes they don't have necks. I... I mean, okay... Fell is a comic that I like a lot, but was written by a piece of shit. But I think that's the best his art's ever been. And I think that uses that effect well, where it's like it is set in a awful rundown place where everyone looks like shit. And that's like part of the appeal of the comic. Whereas these are just supposed to be normal people. Yeah, a bunch of normies. No oh, neck normies. Norms. No neck normies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, I want to talk about, like, just the high points. I like the climax. The climax ends with, uh, our boy punching the lead vampire through the mouth. And it's pretty good. It's very oh, yeah. enjoyable art for that, specifically. And yeah. the wording is, uh, kashflunk. <laughs> there are good sound effects in this. Yeah. Uh, I think that that is a thing that this is, does well. I will, like, I will agree with you for the most part. I think the ending is cool, and that is a deliberate and important choice of words. It's cool. It's a cool idea. It feels cool. Oh, he becomes the vampire to fight the vampires. I do think this is this is where I'm getting the, uh, oh, it's kind of like a pro-war on terror thing. Because I'm reading the comic, and I'm like, what are these vampires? Like, what do they represent? Like, a vampire always has to kind of represent something. And I'm like, what is the fucking metaphor going on here? And I get to that ending, and I'm like... Okay, I think the vampires are just, like, they are terrorists, or they're, like, the, a per, America's perception of terrorists. You know, they come here, they, they upend the town, they put everyone in fear, everyone's hiding. It's, you know, it's they it's very, uh, you know, very post-9-11, like I said. And then it feels to me like that ending with him injecting the vampire blood and becoming the vampire to fight the vampires and then having to die tragically. It's this, like, Jack Bauer kind of ethos that pervaded a lot of media from around this time period where it was like, 
well, we gotta do, like, shock and awe, we got a war on terror on these guys, and maybe we gotta do some fucked up things and use some of their tactics, and, and but it's gonna take a brave man to put that on his soul, but that's how we beat the terrorists, and that's the kind of vibe the ending ends up giving me now, like, looking at this from, like, 2020 viewpoint. I actually don't think it's bad, I, and I think it's, like, authentic, like, that's how, pe- what people were feeling then, and this is, like, a authentic expression of those feelings in service of what is a cool moment. So I actually, that's why I'm saying it here and not as a low point. I don't actually think it's something that's wrong with the comic. It's just an observation that I had. Yeah, sure. I feel that. Initially, I was confused because I was like, he becomes a terrorist to fight the terrorists. But then you explained it better. And then I was like, all right, that makes sense. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I think that ending is, I, I honestly think that ending, even maybe even more than the premise, is the reason the movie got made. Probably. I know Clive Barker really loved this. He did the intro, I think. I didn't read it, but I saw that he wrote it. And then Sam Raimi also loved it and helped produce it. Speaking about uh, the guy that we recently oh, spoke yeah. about. Developing some kind of theme. Is there a way? I don't think that's I think that will end here. I don't think it's going to continue <laughs> into later episodes, but that's interesting. You know, there's like a whole web of something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so I feel like you probably have a lot of low points that you want to talk about sounds I don't like know if i have a lot because again i don't think a ton happens here most of my problems with the comic aren't really like ah here's a point where something sucks it was more of just like getting to the end of it and being like i wish there was more to it i wish we had some supporting characters that i could latch on to i wish that i had gotten more of a feel for barrow as like a uni- we, we get a little bit we do get a little bit which is actually i think going to be a high point that i have um, pretty early on in the comic, I actually, I should have noted what his name was, but we get a part where it cuts to the perspective of, go oh, Gus Lambert, the, uh, he's like the power technician guy, mm-hmm. uh, and he's going to like check on like the power station and we get some narration that goes into his past and it's all ends up being kind of vague, but I liked that hint of... And again, I wish there was more of it. The hint of Barrow as being like this weird kind of safe haven. Because he's like a guy who fled from somewhere, from something. He did some kind of crime or something. It is not specified. And he came to this place at the, you know, at the top of the world and reinvented himself. Uh, and then he gets fucking murderized by vampires. I think they like cut his arms off. Yeah, they cut his arms off and they cut his head off. Yeah. That was, though, I mean, I don't know, not that. The mutilation of Gus Lambert is not a high point for me. Not a low <laughs> point, either. It's just gore. But I think that taste of uh, giving us more of the vibe of the town, of the people in it, was a real high point for me. So, I mean, that you talked about a high point, I guess. Were, were we going to do low points? What, what are we doing? We do low points. I have another high point. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it's do... just another little moment. Sure, do it. I really like... like this is, again, I... I I can't tell if this guy is supposed to be a vampire or not. But the dude, there's a dude that they pick up uh, who's causing trouble in the diner. There's another part where we get a little bit of the vibe of the town where it's like they don't, alcohol is illegal and there's this like implication of like everybody gets a little crazy there and the alcohol would be a bad problem, would cause more problems. And it's like, I, again, I wanted more of that, of that like kind of, tw- give me a little bit of Twin Peaks flavor. Give me a little bit of Northern exposure before everybody gets, uh, vampire murdered but there's they pick up this guy in the diner who's trying to order a bowl of raw hamburger and whiskey which that's pretty good i like that (laughs) detail 
and they put him in jail. And there's a pretty, like, genuinely chilling moment where he just casually bends the prison bars and walks out of his cell. And I think that's maybe the most, like, genuine, like, horror moment that I, I felt in this. Which, actually, I don't know if that's a high point, now that I think about it. Um, but it was effective. For me, that was a low point. Because I know they did a lot more with this character in the movie, specifically. He was played by Ben Foster, and he's, like, a really great part of the movie. He, like, steals every scene that he's in. The, what this character is supposed to be is, like, a minion. And the vampire is sent out ahead to do stuff during the daytime to set up their arrival. Like, he was the guy that was supposed to stole all the cell phones. In the movie, he also killed all the sled dogs and helped destroy the power station. In this, he's barely a character, and he gets, like, shot immediately after coming out of the bars. And it made me... It made me not like our two sheriff characters. Cause oh, yeah. He's a prisoner, an unarmed prisoner. And yes, sure, he just did a superhuman feat of bending bars. Fine. But, like, they literally just shoot him in the head immediately. And that's the end of that. And it's like, well, great, cool. They're, that's not, I don't want to root for these guys anymore. They're just going to shoot their prisoners in the head. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, we could we get into that with low points. Because there's kind of two moments of that with this character. Well, I'm saying that's my low point. Yeah, sure. I, w- I will add to that. Because when they pick him up, he's, like, getting froggy with Sheriff Eben. And then uh, his wife, who it's, I think, another low point of this comic that I can't remember her name at all. Stella. Stella just, like, puts a gun to the back of his head. He's not doing anything. He's just, like, being mean and standing up. And she just, like, rolls in and presses a shotgun against the back of his head. And I, and that was a moment where I was like, uh-oh, I think I might not like these characters very much. Uh, like, I know he's, he's, he's definitely evil. Like, I know he's a vampire crony, at least. But, like, they don't know that. They don't even know that vampires exist yet. Yeah. Also, after they shoot him in the cell, they ask if he's dead. And then Stella shoots him three more times. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Hold on, I have the comment right in front of me. Blam, 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 etc. So she, I think she just empties her magazine into him and says he's dead now. And again, this is like before, like, the vampire thing was established. It's just like, oh, this super strong guy who could bend bars of a cell. That's it. Just murderize him. Yeah, so in the movie, this guy's supposed to be, like, he's like Renfield, right? He's the Harbinger, right? So, like, we're like horror archetypes and stuff, like Cabin in the Woods, one of my favorite movies. You know, he is the one that's supposed to come out and, like, get shit started and then also talk about the threat that's coming. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from the movie is uh, him talking about how, like, there's nobody coming for them because they're in the middle of winter, and uh, can you feel, like, the emptiness in the air? That's not the wind. That's death approaching. I've never seen like the movie, that. but I do sort of quote that part. I I think that was in the trailer. Um, I remember that quote because. Oh no! Uh, I'm sorry. I fucked it up. It's that cold ain't the weather. That's death approaching. <laughs> but I, when I asked if he was running for, I mean, like he's supposed to be like a human, right? Like he's like a. Okay, I can't tell what he is supposed to be in this. Yeah, no. So this is is confusing because it's not really established. Uh, before they just kill him off immediately, which is, like, a part of my altogether low point is that this thing is too short 
for the story it's trying to yeah. tell, and it's too rushed. I agree. But for this character specifically, like it's supposed to be, and they really do flesh out the movie pretty well. This archetype of like the vampiric minion who is like the Renfield who like goes out and does stuff for them, and then is supposed to eventually join them, and the vampires probably won't let him do that. Uh, but you know that's like the whole thing. Yeah, so this kind of leads into another little point I have, which is a little bit of a nitpick. But, so this guy, it's unclear to me in the comic if he's supposed to be a vampire or not. He's strong enough to bend the bars, and he wants to eat raw meat. But also, it's he's, like, doing stuff, I think, bef- No, I guess he doesn't... They don't actually interact with him, at least, until after the sun goes down. Again, unclear if this guy is a vampire or not. They shoot him in the head and kill him by, by obliterating his head with a bunch of gun blasts. And then later... There is a character that is bitten by a vampire who then turns into a vampire and then they kill him by chopping his head off with a shovel, I think. And that's where Eben gets the vial of vampire blood that he uses to become a vampire. And then while he's put, let me see if I can find the exact quote here that bothers me again, very nitpicky, but it's definitely. No, I, um, I agree with you about this part. And also, like, the consequences of, like, what's happening here. So I, I want to add more to this, for sure. Yeah, I'm just trying to see if I can find... Because he says it. He says, like, they're... I'm flipping through the comic. Where is it? Careful, you're going to bend it. I'm trying to know, I'm sorry. I'm getting... Okay. We haven't... I've only seen one thing kill them, and it was one of their own. If I don't do it, all of us will die. But it seems like they killed two vampires already. Yeah. Also, what I hate about this scene the most is that, again, it's like the contrivance of, like, oh, the short the story's too short and they really had to rush through it. But this character isn't nothing character. It's like his whole deal is that his girlfriend's messing. So he goes off to find his girlfriend on his own and comes back and he eats bit. And then he turns to a vampire, but, like, the way he turns to a vampire is he, like, just immediately becomes a monster. He immediately starts attacking the other survivors, and there's no sign of, like, him as he was as a person, even if we knew that person. Uh, and then Evan's like, oh, I need to become that, and that'll help us. And it's like, what? What lesson did you learn from him immediately turning into a monster? Like, what, what makes you think that you are so special? That you're going to not be a monster. And he's not a monster, and it works uh, in the comic. But, like, it's just the logical conclusion of that makes no sense whatsoever, given the story context. In the in the movie, they actually, like, set this up, that you are who you are for a little bit of time before becoming something else. But yeah, okay. in the comic, it's like, oh, this one guy is immediately a monster. Let me try that, and I'll be better. Yeah, they play the first guy like it's a zombie bite, and then they play him like it's like a traditional vampire thing. So there's two things. There's a couple things that I thoughts I'm having. One is, and this is me doing extra unnecessary legwork for the comic, but maybe the fact that he injects himself with the blood is different from getting bitten. But it's not a thing that's pre-established. It's just something where we have to go. I guess. Um, the other thing is, like, I feel like this could have been easily remedied. It would require more time, which is a problem the comic has in general. But, like, if they had, if the context of him injecting himself with the vampire blood shouldn't have been, this is the only thing that can kill them. It should have just been, like, 
we know we can kill them, but if we start doing it, they're going to swarm us and kill us. So this is the only way we're going to get an advantage. Like, that would have been fine. And then it would have been a more, like, calculated choice, mm-hmm. which would have made his sort of tragic ending, I think, a little bit more impactful. The other thing is, like, they if, if they had time to flesh out Eben's character, then I would have totally... I would have bought a thing where they showed us that he, beforehand, that this guy just has, like, a ton of will. Like, if he, like, if they established that he was, like, a guy who got over an addiction or something. Or, like, you know, he had been trapped in the wilderness at some point in the past. Like, maybe he's got, like, a bum leg from, uh, or maybe he cut off his own leg to get out of, like, a 127 hours thing or something. If they just established that this guy has, like, unnatural willpower then I would have bought that he would resist turning into a monster where some other schmuck would just immediately become bloodthirsty. Um, But I also think that the explanation you're talking about in the movie works very cleanly, too. Yeah, the thing about the movie, it's it's a real bummer that you're never going to see it now. But, you know, I guess, you know, other things to be happy for. I could see it. We don't have it with us. But did we... That doesn't... Nothing's written in stone. Okay. I Good for you. Uh, the thing is that the movie really takes its time to methodically and stylishly set up the town, uh, introduces you to the set of characters, and properly fleshes out most of them, with the exception of, like, one or two, that will be our survivors that we go through. It makes them sad. It makes them, like, heartfelt. And it also, like, sets up the atmospheric horror, uh, and it goes throughout the whole month... Of them surviving and getting by, introduces Ooh. this one character played by uh, Mark Boone Jr. <gasps> character actor Mark Boone Jr. All right, well, I guess I will have to see the movie now. Who plays this uh, character called Bo, uh, who's like this outsider who does exactly what you described, where it's like, oh, it's this guy who's clearly running from something, and it implies at one point that he like killed somebody forever ago, and it's never implied if that was like in a war or what have you. But, like, during the movie, he's like, I killed plenty of things. I can kill vampires. And it's like, okay, cool. Uh, and he's literally one of the best parts of the movie. Um, but they have him... One of the parts of the movie. Uh, like, go out of his way to sacrifice himself. They have like, these other characters do other things. And they bring up that, like, minion character to be a real central part of the movie. Played by the charismatic Ben Foster, who I also really enjoy in movies in general. Who, uh you know, is able to really, like, capture your attention and bring to the fact, like, oh, shit, stuff's about to go down. Uh, and then the way they do the movie itself, where they're, like, having these, like, scenes of, like, massacres happening across a narrow view of the town and establishing, like, how many people are actually in the town and how many people are left. It They do a really good job with the movie. I highly recommend it. Are lucky to have a chance to watch it, I guess. So, you know, I think the movie, I would have rated, like, probably really high, like a 9 out of 10. Uh, the comic is just okay. Six out of ten, maybe maybe even five, because you're making a lot of good points. But you know, it's still like because it's short, it's enjoyable, and like I can understand it. It'd be nice if it was longer, but because it's short, it's fine. Oh, also, um, I wonder. There's two subplots in the comic that don't happen at all in the movie. So one of my uh, low points actually is the getting through subplot. It's distracting from the main story. Doesn't have a good resolution. You know. Like, we never actually find out if they got sent the email before the helicopter explodes. Uh, and these characters don't matter. So, in the movie, that doesn't yeah, happen at all. I don't understand that at all. That makes sense, because I just didn't straight up didn't get it in the comic. I was like, 
I it felt like I don't know if it's maybe it was supposed to be setting up for a, a longer ongoing story, but it was like I don't know who these characters are. Yeah. I don't know why they care. Yeah, yeah. So that doesn't happen all in the movie. Uh, and then also in the movie, there's no like vampire hierarchy issues. Vincenzo is not a character in the movie. It's just Marlo, who is the dude that uh, comes up with the idea for uh, going to Alaska and doing this whole thing in the comic. They have Vincenzo and Marlo have a fight because Vincenzo's like a hire of vampire who's like, we've taken so long to become myths and legends and for them to stop hunting us and killing us. And now you're fucking all that up by making this big display of power. And then Vincenzo kills Marlo and tell, says to burn down the town and erase all evidence. In the movie, Marlo just like ravages the town. It's like, okay, we did our thing. We had our fun. Now let's burn it all down so there's no evidence of us. Because we want to maintain the myth. So, like, it still kind of works. And I like that part of, like, hey, you know, why haven't vampires destroyed Alaskan towns before? Because they're trying to hide. That's fine. But also, in the movie, they're more killable. And in the comic, they're, like, unkillable. But they're also scared of being killed. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess, like... I don't know. If some if if you have enough resources to like shoot a missile at them, you'll definitely kill them. So they don't want to ever get that much attention on them. I don't know. I kind of like the Vincente thing where he's like, or Vincenzo or whatever the fuck his name is, this Italian vampire is like, hey, oh, why are you doing this? Is that, is that how you read it? Like, I like that because it's a good point. Yeah, that's how I read all his dialogue. That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> he makes a good point, but it also is just like, uh, just from like a pragmatic standpoint, I'm like, every second that this guy, these two vampires are having an argument could have been page time that could have been spent fleshing out the other characters, and that kind of bothered me. Yeah, I mean, the way it works in the comic is that Vincenzo killing Marlo is like servicing the point of like, oh, Evan sees this and he knows the only way to kill vampires is to be a vampire. Uh, in the movie, he just, like, finds alternate means of killing vampires, and they just get desperate because mm. they're getting cornered, and then he's like, well, I can at least try to ward them off by being as strong as them, and that's, it's like a desperate move versus, like, oh, I saw it happen, so I'm gonna do it. I also feel like, uh, like, I feel like it would have made more, like, emotional sense for him to fight Marlo at the end, the guy who is responsible for destroying his town and not some, like, middle management vampire who's trying to, like, cover up a fuck-up. I mean, he's still gonna kill him, so... Yeah, I guess, but he's doing it, like... If, I don't know. It just was, like... it's In my mind, it's, like, this should have been more western-y, and, it, and it's, like, I want to see him fight the head outlaw and not, like, just some... his boss. <laughs> While you were talking, I took the comment back, I was flipping through it. It's Vicente. It's Vicente, that's what I was saying. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> you tricked me into thinking it was Vincenzo, which is funnier. <laughs> uh, I need some water. Oh, uh, alright. Uh, this is this is your third time today. Just, you know. I'm gonna, you, I'm gonna uh, you know, I need to be in t- uh, top operating shape. You don't want me to have a headache. No, I don't want you to have a headache. Fine, just take it easy, alright? Third time today.
You good, Bobby? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. All right. Uh, so uh, let's. Um, oh, we're let's... still doing this. All right. Okay. Yeah, no, let's keep going. Uh, let's uh, take a little stop at uh, you know threat go where the threats go. Do a little threat assessment. Okay. Uh, so, uh, what sucks about the villain of this comic is that it's really cold. Mm-hmm. The night is way too long, and it seems like a bad place to live. Yes. Also, there are vampires. Yeah, so I think Alaska's a terrible villain, and we should look out for that. Yeah, so that's a good point. We'll make sure to... I Maybe every couple of feet, we can check to see if we're in Alaska. Uh, and if we are, then we just turn around. <laughs> Uh, no, I guess we'll talk about the vampires. So the vampires are, they're not typical vampires. They're, they're not like, uh, Nosferatus. They're very, what are you talking about? They're extremely Nosferatus. Yeah, but they're like, okay, so there's a point in the comic where they're like, they really can't be killed from mythical solutions, right? This is true, yeah. Cross doesn't work, like, can't stab them through the heart with a stake. It's like they can only decapitate them or sunlight. That's it. Yeah. I, they don't try garlic. We don't know if garlic still might work. Do they not mention that in the... Because we don't actually see them try most of the stuff. They just kind of say, like, oh, yeah, everybody... Because this comic really fast forwards through most of the 30 days. So they just kind of say, like, oh, people tried everything. Yeah, they try. the The quote is: "They tried everything: bullets, knives, wooden stakes. Stella even tried to cross. Okay, the so thing just laughed at her. It would have killed her if Evan hadn't been there to help." We don't know if garlic works or not, but we do know all of those other things. We also don't know if holy water works, but presumably if the cross doesn't work. Holy water is not going to work. Yeah, they're generally super strong. What's interesting about these vampires is that they travel in herds, and they're mostly bald. <laughs> Yeah, but there's, like, not, like, the Count Dracula thing where it's, like, there's not just one of them ravaging the town. It's, like, there's a whole herd of them. And they have a hierarchy. They recognize authority. Herd's the wrong the wrong nomenclature because it's, like, that's, like... Pack? Pack, yeah, because that's more like wolves. So, yeah, there's a pack of them. And they have a hierarchy, so they're smart. And they can infect you with a bite or a scratch. Yeah, or if you take their blood, you get your blood their blood in your blood yeah so don't don't get their blood in your so blood. don't make blood brothers with a vampire or you'll become a vampire yeah no blood packs there is like they can't there's a big thing where it's like a downfall to them attacking alaska in the middle of a blizzard is they can't smell good in snowy conditions so we know they can normally smell good yeah but not in the cold or in the snow at least what else Oh, they don't turn into bats. They don't fly. Yeah, we don't get any of that. We also like sense like one of the only means of killing them is decapitation. Like that's that's a feat. I don't know if you or I could decapitate somebody because it's like you need someone super strong to do that. Chuck, I'll be real with you. Even if it was a normal non-vampire person, I would say there's a basically a zero percent chance I'm going to get that person's head off. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so like that's a factor. That even if we were dealing with them, that neither you nor I would be able to cut their heads off. Yeah. This is a tough one. Uh, do we want to go into survivability analysis? Sure. 
Would we survive in this situation? No, immediately dead. No. No, we would be we would die so fast. We would be so depressed by the fact that there's no sun and be extremely cold and probably just die of hypothermia or pneumonia or what have you. And then the vampires wouldn't even be a factor. We would just be dead and we'd be wondering why the hell we came to Alaska. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't even need the yeah. So the yeah again the real threat here is Alaska. I mean, I mean, and imagine the vampire showing up. You're already dealing with the worst case of seasonal affective disorder you're ever gonna have. Like it's enough that like we can't deal with the nights that we have here. Like imagine just like having it be like fully nighttime. That would be awful. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I know the listeners can't see it, but Chuck has a very beachy vibe <laughs> that is gonna be out of place in Alaska. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm the beach bum. But let's say we didn't die from living in Alaska under normal conditions. <laughs> and then also didn't die by the vampires. How how would we do that? Uh, okay, so what if we didn't immediately just die? Uh, I guess, uh, well, we'd leave Alaska immediately. Yes. Don't move to Alaska. We wouldn't be in Alaska at night. Mm. You know, like, in the movie, in the comic they don't really show up, but in the movie, like, there's a whole group of people that leave Alaska during this period of time just because they can't why handle it. Why wouldn't you? And, like, yeah, why wouldn't you? Uh, and there's, like, a skeleton crew of, like, only, like, 100 people left in the town of, like, 600 that stay to, like, keep on the lights and whatnot. But, yeah, no, so... If... the vampires' plans seem not that great, though, if there's only, like, 100 people. Yeah. How many vampires are there supposed to be? I assumed it's, like, 50? In the movie, it's, like, 20. Okay. Also, they're led by Danny Houston as Marlowe, and he rules, and he's really good at it. But anyway, enough about the movie. So, yeah, don't move to Alaska. If we're in Alaska, don't be in Alaska at night. Leave during that period of time. Mm. Or just definitely don't move to Alaska. I have a suggestion that's kind of a solution to two, two of the problems here. Um, but also, it's a thing that I suggested in the last episode, too. Which is UV lamps. People who are not in Alaska have UV lamps to deal with seasonal depression... In the real world. So I assume they would have them to deal with 30 days of night in Alaska. And then also you could shine it at a vampire and presumably kill it. If these vampires are not getting affected by crosses, I assume these are a particularly scientific kind of vampire. Which means it shouldn't matter that the UV light is coming from a lamp that you shine on your face to be slightly less sad. Rather than the sun that you shine on your face to have slightly more vitamin D. Yes, actually, that is a thing in the movie. At one point, they do use UV lights. Plot point in the movie is that Eben's grandmother also worked with him at the police station as like the uh, office administrator, and she mm-hmm. to like use his medication. She has a, a a weed garden at her house that she uses with UV lights. And at one point, to distract the vampires from the group of survivors, Eben runs over to her house, gets her generator started, and uses the UV light to ward off the vampires for a while while the generator's running. So that worked in the movie. So I guess, like, if we had, like, pocket UV lights that we carried around with us, like, with, like, little pocket sunshine, that would work. I think that's a great product, too. Like, maybe we could just, you know, once this season of the podcast is over, uh, we could maybe just pitch that on, like, Shark Tank. Sure. If we get through this season... We can do yep. that. You're really this, hopeful today. 
I thank you. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's something. I guess uh, the way that most people survive in the comic is they just hide, and they're very good at it. Uh, so we just be very good at hiding, which I feel like we could do already. Yeah, because they're definitely not loud. Um, and our response to being in a stressful, scary situation isn't to uh, do a thing where that requires that we talk. Yeah, um, that would be bad. So, I think we could hide. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, another thing is, like, the, the dude that gets infected before Eben decides to take over and become infected himself. The reason he gets infected is because he's looking for his missing girlfriend. So I think the solution to that is just, if someone's missing, we don't look for them. Okay. So, <laughs> leave... So instead of... Don't leave a soldier behind. Leave every soldier <laughs> behind. Leave just every man for himself. If you're already in a sanctuary, and someone else is not in the sanctuary, don't leave the sanctuary to go find them. Okay, would how how strict are we going on this? If somebody let's let's make up a person. Um, let's give him a, a name. Uh, Alistair. If okay. Alistair, uh, he um, oh, what does he do? He's uh, he um, he works at the. There's a for some reason there's a Radio Shack, uh, and he's the he's <laughs> he's not the manager, but he's the guy who's been employed there long enough. Um, and really you and specific. him, like, you guys play, like, uh, you know, like, trading card games together, like, on the weekends. But he's, like, kind of a dick about it. He's, like, a little too competitive. But let's say he leaves uh, the... This is how committed I am to fleshing out characters. I, I, I need to, people to know that I'm not being bullshit when I criticize this comic. <laughs> Alistair leaves to go find his um, Pomeranian uh, that he got separated from. That used to belong to his mom. And she um, didn't die, but she did uh, leave Alaska. But she left her dog. And he gets the dog and comes I just back. say, the Pomeranian would not live in Alaska too much longer. This is a really hardy Pomeranian. That's... <laughs> so he gets the Pomeranian. And he's coming back, but he's been outside in the vampire-infested town. And he he comes back, and he... Do we let him in? Or do we just say, no, you might have gotten... We, there, we, have, we can't believe you if you say you didn't get bit. You're stuck out there with your Pomeranian. I've thought about this a lot. Because, you know, I think about apocalypse scenarios a lot. Because I have a problem. Because, like, this also kind of applies to, like, zombies, right? Like, what if, like, a survivor goes out and we need to know if they're bit or not. And there's always that one person that's like, I'm not bit. And they're bit. And they're assholes. I think the thing is, if we're in a zombie apocalypse or whatever, like, you have to follow a new norm. Mm -hmm. Not norm from Cheers. Like, a new norm. Um, A new norm. The prophecy predicted that it would come one day. <laughs> to be let back into a sanctuary, you should have to submit to a strip search. You know what? That's a good point. I think my solution would just be rigid, unflinching, totalitarian enforcement of the buddy system. <laughs> sure, fine. But like, what if they're both bit when they come back? Uh, oof, that's a good point. I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you, Bobby. If like I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Like I'm gonna be a decent person and be like, "Hey, I'm sorry that uh, Bobby and I left, and now we're back because we found that Pomeranian. Because uh, we, we kind of don't like you, Alistair, but we appreciate your mom and respect her, uh, and we know this is very important to you. And you can't say I don't flesh out characters either. But like, if we're bit, I'm gonna be like, "Hey, we're bit. <laughs> I'm not gonna be an asshole." <laughs> 
you don't understand my powerful conception of the buddy system. That scenario would not happen under my buddy rule. Because the rule would be, if you see your buddy get bit, you immediately shoot him in the head. Okay, okay. I'm with you. But if you shoot your buddy in the head, you're no longer using the buddy system. Because you're by yourself. So we got to send three people out. But then what if both of them? Everybody only moves as a group. <laughs> Get, that's a solution, first and foremost. Secondly, if <laughs> Alistair or whoever comes back, I think they need to submit to a strip search by whoever they feel comfortable stripping in front of, just so we know there is no infectious bite or scratch or whatever. And if there is, we kick them out on their ass and their Pomeranian's ass. Another idea that I thought of for this comic situation, uh, which... Would not work at all. Definitely kill us. But is an idea, <laughs> and I feel like I should say it. Nice. Uh, is report illegal vampire activities to the vampire government. Because there's a vampire hierarchy. And maybe the government will come and kick their asses. Yeah, but then they'll kill you for knowing that vampires exist. Yeah, no, it doesn't work at all. I just, I wanted to say it. <laughs> I guess if you could convince the vampire government, no. No. <laughs> No, it I doesn't say work. You could convince them that you're a vampire, but then they would still kill you for being party to that thing. They don't seem very forgiving. No. no, no, nothing about that idea works. I just wanted to say it. It's funny how pervasive the idea of a vampire gover- vampire shadow government has become in pop culture. Because it really isn't like a major forerun. Like, I think it's Vampire the Masquerade, like the RPG. But like, other than that, there isn't like a major forerunner. But like, then all of a sudden in the early 2000s, you know, in this, in Underworld, in Twilight. What you do in like, the shadows. A, yeah, exactly. There's a vampire shadow government. And now that's like a firmly like established part of like vampire tropes. Like in the same way, when you make a new vampire thing, you have to answer like, well, are they weak to garlic? Can they turn into bats? You also have to answer, is there a vampire shadow government? Yeah, they even do it in Rick and Morty. They do do it in Rick and Morty. Yeah, with Coach Ferratu. <laughs> God, Coach Rati is so funny. That's a good bit. It's a very good it bit, is. but they definitely, like, establish there's a vampire government. Yeah, uh, okay, fine. Uh, that idea was stupid, and I had to get it out. I have another stupid idea that's maybe less okay. stupid. Lay it on me. You and I, we would want to survive this. What if we had our third friend, let's say Alistair, who's kind of a dick. What if we just had him... Like, be with us, and then infect him with vampire stuff, and then he goes out and fights for us, and then he dies, and then we're still alive at the end. Like, we just have, like, this third person that is our, like, temporary hero. Okay. I think this is a bad idea. I'll say this right now. (laughs) I think this is a bad idea because it's basically us murdering someone. No. Um, But, but, I will say if we're gonna do this idea, it could potentially work. We, I don't know if we I don't think it would work if we just ambushed Alistair and injected him with vampire blood. I think he would just turn into a monster and kill us. No, it's, it's we, if we, we convince both, him. Yes, if we both act so pathetic that he has no choice but to make a heroic sacrifice because we're completely incapable of it, then I think that then we're guilt-free, right? I mean, we're just gaslighting him, but yeah, sure, we're guilt-free. I don't think it would take that much acting to convince people we were so pathetic there's no chance we would do a heroic sacrifice and he would have to do it. (laughs) We also just have to make him love us so much. 
Right. Yeah, I think we could do this. We just have to be really likable and incompetent. And let me tell you, I'm already there. I I guess. I mean, I don't know how it'll make him love us. No, no, that just means we won't be able to do it. Like, it'll be like, well, if if Bobby injects himself with the vampire thing, he's going to, like, fall on a rake and die. Um, if Chuck injects so himself with the vampire thing, he's just going to fall on two ricks and die. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to trip up for Bobby and fall on a rake and die. He um, <laughs> just this line of us falling on rakes. Yeah. If you were to have an a image of... I guess vampire history. Imagine a foot stomping on a rake forever. Um, but then it's also like, I love these two Jamokes so much that I gotta become a vampire to save them. So we just gotta hit that sweet spot. And I think we're close. Yeah, I guess. Alright, well, is there anything else? No, I think, I mean, the big one is just don't go to Alaska. Yeah, forget about Alaska. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's it. Do we have anything else to say? What was that knocking? I don't know. Should one of us check that out? Yes.